This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. It's a beautiful morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for tuning to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. It's August, and this is not TikTok. This is MPB Think Radio. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Mal. It is a beautiful morning. Yes, it is. Nice and warm. Nice and warm. Well, it's August in Mississippi. What can we say? We can say, praise the Lord. How was your week this week, Carol? Uh, my week was good, Mal. <clears throat> uh, lot, lots of cooking. Um, lots of fishing with, with no luck. Uh, the, fish, the fish are hot, too, and they've gone to the <laughs> bottom. At least uh, they are. Okay. Uh, but, um, you know, still putting up things. I made some fig preserves. Um, I'm happy to say that I believe all the figs in Mississippi have been picked. Uh, well, between us, our listeners, and the birds, they have very little chance. And the possums and the <laughs> raccoons. Um, uh, but on our Facebook site, Cooking and Coping, which we hope our listeners will join if they have not already. I mean, there must have been a hundred fig recipes. I was uh, calling it figorama, but mm. there's some beautiful fig dishes out there. Absolutely. And uh, we, we enjoyed having Felder Rushing on last week to talk about his fig trees, his fig preserves, and things going on in his garden. We had a nice weekend. We cooked Armenian hamburgers, uh, which uh, is sort of a traditional hamburger with a bunch of cumin powder in it and a few other Mediterranean spices, along with some uh, grilled squash. So I cooked the burgers, sort of got them browned first and then moved them over and, and grilled the squash. And then we had a beautiful tomato salad, tomato cucumber salad, with the Better Boy tomatoes furnished by my great friend and uh, very successful gardener, David Patterson. Yeah, David's been good to you this year. Yes, it's been a great, great summer because the Patterson uh, family has has kept me in peppers and eggplants uh, and tomatoes uh, and all sorts of uh, beautiful uh, ingredients. Also, Kara made a big batch of homemade uh, vanilla ice cream, which was very tasty. And uh, Ren and I enjoyed the heck out of that. You know, Malcolm, I think it's a beautiful thing, such a benefit to marry into an Armenian family and get all of these wonderful dishes and a wonderful cook to go along with it. But I, I do love the thought of you making Armenian hamburgers. Well, there you go. And who knew, right? We didn't know yeah. there was such a thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so what are you cooking? Well, besides had, the figs, you got to well, surely have eaten something else. I, yeah. Well, I had uh, I cooked beautiful red snapper, owned some grits from a company, their heirloom grits, a white corn grit from a company called McEwen's uh, in hmm. Alabama. I had read about it in that garden gu- garden and gun grits article. So that was delicious. Had a little baked okra on the side. Uh, That's been another trend on cooking and coping. Roasted okra, baked okra, just many, many okras. And then I wanted to tell you about one spectacular fail. Oh boy. Weekend. I haven't even confessed it at home, but I was making oyster uh, an oyster po' boy for John on Saturday night. 
and I accidentally put stone ground grits in the batter instead of cornmeal. I Ooh, don't. I bet you had some fireworks. Know, I don't know what happened, but it almost broke his teeth. <laughs> I, to, I told him it was it was a coarse ground cornmeal, but yesterday no. when I was cleaning up the kitchen, I noticed it was Delta Grind grits, and it it they maimed the grits maimed the oysters. I mean, it was wow. almost inedible. But well, things like, like that happen. Yeah, well, yeah. That's right. Hey, look. Fun. Let's uh, speaking of uh, cooking and coping. Shout out to our good friend Thomas Williams up in Nashville. He's had a little set back but we want to wish him well and we know he's tuned in and we can't wait for him to come back to jackson and break bread with us yeah and we want to also break bacon with thomas yeah he's the bacon master he is the bacon master who who brings in his car benton's bacon to uh, many of our friends in jackson and so chops yeah yeah all things pork uh, so, you know, touching base with local restaurants, I've been kind of looking around over the past week to see how people are doing. Some are doing better than others. You know, I would say there are people doing 60, 70 percent of the business pre-COVID and some only doing 30. It, it's sort of a mixed bag. But uh, I, I've made stops at four or five local restaurants and uh, I really worry, you know, about sustainability and how uh, everybody will do. Between the grants and the loans and uh, okay. all the money that we can master to keep our employees on, it is a, a very difficult time. So think about local restaurants, uh, if you would, get carryout, curbside, gift certificates, uh, or just call them and, and wish them well and see how everybody's doing that uh, is holding up that end of the world. Not that uh, there aren't other industries that are struggling. There's certainly. Uh, but our restaurant friends are, are really struggling. And t- tell us about Helen Mouse. What are y'all doing down there? We're doing about 30, 35%. It's very slow downtown. Uh, there's only about uh, between 30 and 40% of the downtown offices that have uh, reoccupied. So there's not a lot of traffic downtown. It's pretty slow. Um, and, and restaurants are, are, are struggling. Uh, some more than others. Um, I heard of an un, uh, unfortunate incident uh, a week or so ago. The, the front plate gl- glass uh, at the Mayflower was broken out. had nothing to do with COVID, but some sort of weird uh, accident down there. And I know that really upset the Mayflower family and Jerry. It's hard enough to, to, to make it go when everything is working your way. And certainly the last thing you want is some sort of uh, situation like that but we wish them well mayflower since 1935 one Um, of the flagship greek seafood restaurants in downtown jackson well i had a chance to go by bravo last night i spent last night in jackson and took that opportunity to do takeout uh with with bravo another one of our longtime jackson restaurants has been probably over 25 years now yeah, but I think it, they it recently. Was, it was a great experience. They've always had that takeout window, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. But they have curbside now too. And uh, yeah, one thing I wanted to mention is, yeah, with the new uh, COVID protocols and COVID rules, one of the things that restaurants have been allowed to do is actually sell full bottles of wine. Yeah. And so I picked up a little split. Uh, last night of some Chardonnay to go with my dinner, and I thought that was a very cool thing. Yeah, and we're uh, you know we're also allowed to to make con- uh, cocktails to go, but and those are all great. I mean, little thing, all the little things help. 
but uh, it, it's going to be a real struggle. Uh, I saw Robert St. John this morning. He was on uh, Super Talk uh, talking about uh, closing down uh, the Purple Parrot after 40-something years, uh, and he's doing a rebrand uh, on that restaurant. And he was just sort of giving an update of, of all the restaurants and the Piney, Piney Woods and Hattiesburg. We wish all the restaurateurs and, and suppliers and employees well uh, in this very difficult time. I think Robert's closing night was Friday night, and it was so successful and so much fun that he closed again on Saturday night. And, you know, I had wished that I could have driven down there and be a part of it because I have such strong memories of Robert opening that restaurant. Yeah. A very, very young kid. He used to come by the Everyday Gourmet, my store, to, you know, to visit. And he was working early on with Nick Apostle, who had Nick's in Jackson. And uh, it was his dream come true. And he has just run an incredible operation all these years. But, you know, it's time to rebrand and move on. Yeah, you, you got to know when to sh- uh, hold them, know when to fold them. And uh, Robert's been very clear that this is not uh, the end of the world. It's it's just uh, a rebrand, a reboot. Um, so certainly wish him well there. Yeah, um, because cause people are not doing as much fine dining as they used to. Right. You know, the, the restaurant casualized. Correct. It, there's quite a casual movement. Uh, but I did go by Elvie's uh, here in Bellhaven the other day, and they had a really nice uh, Saturday morning brunch crowd. I, I went by um, the Manship, uh, and they had a good – I got some to-go food from there. They were busy. Uh, I've noticed that Kiefer's is has got a good steady clientele. So, so you know, we keep hope alive and, and hope that the restaurants uh, can survive this, t- this time. And um, – so anyway, later on in the show, we're going to talk about cookbooks. There's regular old cookbooks, and then there's community cookbooks. Uh, the regular books are the ones that are references. Uh, they contain recipes, and are often they are written by professional chefs. The community cookbooks, on the other hand, focus on the home cook, and are often, you know, they document regional, ethnic, family, and social uh, traditions, as well as local history. And so we're going to talk uh, about uh, these community cookbooks if you have a favorite you want to join the conversation we'd love to hear from you if uh if you know of a good cookbook as a recommendation with good recipes we're always happy to share recipes uh on the show so we'll take a break and when we come back we'll be joined by larison campbell larison is a former mississippi today reporter she grew up in greenville she's now based in new york city and she recently published a piece in vanity fair uh, it's reminiscence of the community cookbooks that shaped her childhood and her family's dinner table. Her mom is a wonderful cook and had quite a collection of these cookbooks. So we'll, Larison will join us here in a minute. If you want to join the conversation, you are welcome also. one 672 7464 or we would be happy to get an email addressed to food at mpbonline.com. O-R-G. Carol and I will be right back with Larison.
no matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. Good morning. You are listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. You're listening to the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Today, we have a very special guest calling us all the way from New York City. However, she is a local girl having grown up in Greenville in the Mississippi Delta. Welcome, Larison Campbell. Thank you so much, Malcolm and Carol. I'm excited to be on the show. You know, Malcolm and I first started talking about this the day your Vanity Fair article came came out. And, you know, we told Java that Larison Campbell, we've got to get Larison Campbell. So um, Java's the man and, and made it happen. So we are happy to see you. I'm thrilled to be here. I really am. I mean, it's such a fun, it's such a fun whole area to talk about. So. I know. And, and in your job as a freelance writer, you are covering, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other. I saw yesterday morning you had a big article in the Daily Beast of Mississippi and COVID and the situation with coroners and morgues. And so we go from that to cookbooks. How, how does that feel? Junior League. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if I should pin down my brand a little bit better, but um, maybe it'll make pitching easier. But yes, right now I'm, I'm writing about it all. So <laughs> I love the title of the piece in Vanity Fair. My mother's old Junior League cookbooks seem like a retro joke. Instead, they were extremely satisfying. So what is it like growing up with your in the Mississippi Delta, uh, in your mom and dad's house there, entertaining and, and seeing sort of that viewpoint uh, as a child growing up uh, in that great Mississippi Delta heritage. Yeah, and you know, I think this is something probably a lot of listeners can relate to, but I really kind of grew up taking the idea that like good, I, I, I grew up taking the idea of good food, <clears throat> excuse me, for granted, really. You know, I mean, it's just, my mom is, a real, I, I know everyone says their mother is a good cook, um, is a great cook. Your My mother is a good cook. Okay, good. Okay, good. See, I've got Carol backing me up here. So um, I know some people, I know one person that has stated that when the COVID-19 uh, pandemic is over, the first place she wants to put her feet is under Nancy Campbell's table. Oh, I, my mom, I can guarantee you is feeling the exact same way. I think the first thing she wants to do when this is all over is have a big dinner party. So, um, and, and that's kind of the way I grew up. I mean, my parents, there is nothing I think that my parents enjoy more than having people over for dinner. And so that was kind of the way it was growing up, you know, but um, even in, you know, even on a Tuesday night, we'd have a pretty, a pretty decent um, spread. You know, I think she just, I think for her cooking is a really big way of showing love, showing affection and welcoming people in. And she just does it so well that um, it's kind of it's kind of a joy on both sides of the equation. And it's really wonderful that she does it so well, in spite of being a full time physician. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, that that's just not your stay at home cook. 
No, no. And she did do that. She um, came to her uh, to being a doctor a little bit later in life in her mid forties. But, um, and I was, I think my sisters and I have two uh, younger sisters. And I think we were all a little bit afraid when she went to medical school that we would suddenly lose the great meals, but that has not happened. She does seem to manage both of them very well. So I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. So your mom uh, is uh, a fabulous physician. She's my physician. And huh. I always look forward to my visits uh, in your mom's office. <clears throat> and they go like this. We start off talking about you and your sisters. Then we turn to my daughter and my grandchildren. And then we go immediately to food. And with the last two or three minutes in the session, we touch on my physical well-being. <laughs> but see, these are all parts of it, right? You know, it's it's your family. It's your it's it is what you're eating and how you're taking care of yourself because what you're eating is definitely the food that you're interested in is definitely a good sign of how you're taking care of yourself. And you know, and then and then the actual physical elements of that are sort of you know they all go together. So, so this is why I'm not a doctor, by the way. What I said, this is why I'm not a doctor, by the way. <laughs> so, your mom packed up a bunch of cookbooks, and that's how that all this article started. So, my mom um, has uh, has a you know, I think you could probably safely call it a compulsion where she buys cookbooks all the time. And it's great because, like, as a daughter, I know that if I get her a couple of cookbooks for Christmas, like, she's going to be thrilled. And, you know, so it, it does make gift buying in my family very easy. But, I mean, she has a large shelf in her office that's full of cookbooks, and she just runs out of space all the time. So um, so she gradually sort of wean, you know, thins out the collection every now and then, and I get, and I get the leftovers. And um, so I wound up with this great trove of you know, these community cookbooks, um, a lot of them junior league. Uh, and, um, you know, you can kind of tell which ones are her favorites because those are the ones I didn't get. And <laughs> I think I think when I started reading through them, I, I requested some other ones. And she was willing to send me, say, Party Potpourri in Memphis. And she That's sent me, uh, yeah, what's and that? You cannot buy a copy of Party Potpourri. Yeah. I mean, and I see she sent you Cotton Country Collection. I mean, I can't believe she let go of that. I can't believe that either. And that was actually one of the first ones she let go of, too. But she did not let go of either of the Jackson ones. All all the Jackson Junior League resident uh, members should be thrilled to hear. But, uh, yeah, she um, – I know Cotton Country is the best. I mean, it is – and it's a Cotton Country collection, too, I should say. So it's kind of – what is that? Is it, It's kind of a compendium of, like, a bunch of different ones, right? Sort of over the years. They sort of put a bunch together, I think. Uh, yeah. Now I'm I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe they just call it collection, but it is certainly one one of the most honored uh, cookbooks. Now the first junior league cookbook was Charleston Receipts, and then the the best selling cookbook of all junior league cookbooks is Louisiana. Uh, I mean, it's River Road from Baton Rouge. That's right. And it has sold like over a million copy i mean it, it's just I would, phenomenal i wanted to say i think it's still in print it, it, it might is. be one of the only it ones is. that it, yeah Actually, i just was looking at my notes it, it, it was first published in 1959 and it is now sold 1.9 million copies 
So it's up there with the Bible. I mean, not quite that, not not quite that high, but it is up there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a, a weak second. A weak second. So you started flipping through these cookbooks. And it's just funny because, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, we, there was just this long period of time where I was like, what, what do I do with this time? And it's not that I wasn't busy, but you just suddenly found yourself with like these, you know, these stretches that like, you just kind of didn't know what to do. So you started pulling books off the shelf and I pulled some older books off the shelf that I planned to read. Those are still on my bedside table, probably haven't gotten to those yet, but the cookbooks, it was just, there's something, you know, I think fundamentally, I was just really drawn to them during this period because cookbooks, I mean, it really is cooking and eating. That's how you take care of yourself, right? And I think the pandemic, especially the beginning of it, when it was just so unprecedented and it was so, and it still is so unsettling, um, but, you know, it, there's so much uncertainty and you, I'm trying to think of how to say this, but it really helps to have this to sort of think about taking care of yourself and taking care of your family and eating and like planning food. And it's sort of, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of what gives you life. Right. And during like a really uncertain, scary time when you're not really sure what life is going to be, um, you know, in terms of, you know, health wise, and also like in terms of just like, are things going to look the same? I don't know. It was just, I, I found that I was really drawn to cookbooks and I think, um, I know the Facebook group that you started, the cooking and coping, like it's just, and and actually even before I opened up the Junior League cookbooks, I'd seen that. And it's just, it just resonates with so many people right now. Well, it was a great piece and I'm glad that it's got this long tail and that uh, the story continues to be told. We've got a caller on the line from New Orleans. We've got Tom Ramsey. Hey, Tom, what's up? Malcolm, yeah. how are you, sir? Good, how are you? You know, uh, everything is hard, but we're uh, we're existing. So, in two minutes or less, what is the overview of the New Orleans restaurant scene this day and age uh, in the COVID reality? I can do that in one second or less, and I would say, <laughs> you know, um, you know it, it's it's a mixed bag. So I, you know, I'm, I'm the chef at a Chafalaya, which is a pretty storied um, neighborhood restaurant, actually started by a woman from Mississippi, Isler Pope. But um, we're busy on certain days because it's part of the fabric of our neighborhood. Right. So, hold on. Don't let your gumbo burn. No, no, that was a timer telling me to call into your um, radio. <laughs> It's, it's my day off. I got to set a timer for everything. So right now, like I said, it's, you know, our, our, our little neighborhood restaurant is doing pretty well because we're part of a neighborhood and we're part of a, a, a community. The restaurants who cater predominantly to tourists and conventions, like in the CBD, are, are not doing really well because um, there's no conventions. Um, and then you've got like just really old staples that you know, when you see they're closing, it's just a shot to the heart, like, um, you know, K. Paul's or you know, even Irene's is closed. And, you know, they're saying they're going to reopen in the fall. But, you know, the, the Louisiana Restaurant Association says we could lose 
as many as 300 restaurants. Wow. Out of this. And that's, that's sobering. It, well, you, you've been in the business. You know how thin the margins are. Um, the margins are you know, 3%, 4%, 8% if you're running it, great. 12% if you're a genius, which I've never been. Never met so, one. So um, it, you, if you're mandated to cut your business in half, for example, well, you know, even if you're running the best you can, you're still at half capacity. So it, it's tough. It, it really is. And um, we're making the best of it. And, uh, you know, our, our neighborhood folks are, are coming in, and they're really proud and happy to see us. And, you know, some of the tourists are coming in and really happy, and some of the tourists just walk in the door mad because you ask them to wear a mask. It's, the reactions are all over the place. Right. Well, Tom, I appreciate you taking the time to call in. Good luck uh, in the Absolutely. city. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're voting for junior league cookbooks. i got to throw a pitch in for vintage Vicksburg. There you oh, go. Yeah. Ah. Tom is a native of the River City, grew up there, and uh, I guess you grew up with that cookbook in your house, huh? I did. My mom was uh, the junior auxiliary. It wasn't the junior league in the, in the small towns. She was a junior auxiliary uh, president and uh, was instrumental in in publishing Vintage Vicksburg. So I, I still give it away for Christmas presents. Wow. Well, there you go. There's a commitment to a community cookbook. Tom I, Ramsey. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, can I ask what the best recipe in it is? You know, I'd have to go with my dad's gumbo, but, you know, it's a little, uh-huh. little bias there. And I would like to add Liz Falk's stuffed ham. It's a very old, old recipe handed down and the corn pudding it is and i'll tell you there's a, a, a funny story i'll tell you about one of those recipes but my, my mom had a recipe in there called pegs cheese soup she only made it for funerals right so if somebody died my mom would make cheese soup to take to the bereaved family so if i smelled cheese soup i knew somebody died well <laughs> we were up at our lake house at eagle lake and my mom started making cheese soup and my brother and i said what are you doing I mean, who died? <laughs> and she says, well, nobody died. We're like, Mom, you can't make that cheese soup if, if it's not for a funeral. And she just she just dismissed us. And as soon as we sat down to start eating cheese soup, the news came out that Princess Diana was killed in a horrible crane crash at the Pont de Neuf Tunnel in Paris, France. And I still blame my mother for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom Ramsey, thank you so much for calling in. Good luck in New Orleans at Shefalaya, a great neighborhood restaurant. We are sad that you are not in Jackson anymore, but we are proud of you for the work you're doing down in New Orleans. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will continue to talk to journalist Larison Campbell, whose essay about her mother's junior league cookbooks can be found on Vanity Fair. You can read all about it. When we come back, we'll keep talking uh, to Larison about these community cookbooks and her growing up in the Mississippi Delta. And we'll even continue or begin a new thread around refrigerated martinis. We'll be right back, Carol and I. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, 
and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. You're tuned to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Happy Monday morning. Thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Larison Campbell. Welcome back, Larison. Thank you very much. Larison's calling in all the way from New York City, but she's a Mississippi lady and she grew up here. How's the family? How are the kids? The kids are great. They're great. Uh, they are busy or as busy as they can be, you know, during the quarantine, but uh, they're they're. They're running around in our small sort of city area. Yeah. Well, four-year-olds are busy on a good day, so I can't even imagine how it is uh, having <laughs> a house most of the time. We have maximized every square foot of this apartment, I can I can guarantee you. So. <laughs> well, um, Larson, when I was reading the article, you, you were talking about, um, you know, how the cookbooks were filled with women, women's names, and back when most of these were written, it was like Mrs. Roy Campbell. Not, you know, you were not Nancy Campbell, but Mrs. Roy Campbell. And in a certain time, women's names were not even supposed to be in print, unless, except when they were born and when they died. <laughs> and, you know, the community cookbooks were sometimes the only place women ever saw their, their names in print. So, um, that's, that and, really, and yeah. when they supplied the floral arrangements at church, they, they got a line in the program in the program. That that's oh, right. Okay. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so it, it really is. I mean, if you flip through these books and, you know, now I have about a dozen of them without fail, Every single recipe is attributed to a Mrs. Somebody. On occasion, you'll get a miss. It's pretty, I mean, I'd say we're talking maybe 3% of the recipes go to a miss. Every other thing is Mrs., 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 with one very significant exception, which is the beginning of a lot of these cookbooks, um, which are devoted to cocktails. And then you've got a good 50-50 mix. Um, the women get credit for things that are kind of socially acceptable, like punches, um, you know, kind of like a brunch drink, say, you would get sort of a version of a mimosa, something like that, like a champagne cocktail you would get. Um, but when you're talking about hard liquor, suddenly men's names appear. <laughs> so um, in say in the example of Cotton Country, again, that great cookbook, uh, there's this recipe called the refrigerator martini, which is uh, two parts vodka, two parts gin, one part vermouth. And then, um, and I should say, when I say parts, I mean like pints, really. I think, well, I think it's two pots. <laughs> So you wind up with like a solid, you know, 25 ounces of um, alcohol. No, I don't, I don't think I did my math right there, actually. You wind up with a lot. You wind up with a full of alcohol. Yes. <laughs> and it gets stored in the refrigerator. And I, my guess is um, the wife in that situation was like, take my name off of this. Um, and so she put her husband <laughs> on it because, it's, you know, if you're drinking um, hard alcohol out of a pitcher, it's significantly more socially acceptable to be a man, I think, maybe in the 1960s and 70s than it was to be a woman. But, um, you know, 
I think if you look at these recipes, uh, you can kind of tell that I think the women were doing just as much drinking as the men. <laughs> well, the one thing about a pre-made, pre-mixed alcoholic beverage in a large container in a refrigerator is this. You had to drink it or it could go bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, so, Larson, have you actually made the refrigerator martini? I did. Yes, I did. It was great. And I got to be honest with you, they were... They were really onto something. Um, it is a wonderful, very easy way to have a great drink. It does actually, Malcolm, I, I, I agree you should drink it fast, but if you don't do it, it keeps for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and um, <laughs> in fact, I think the line in the recipe was, we'll keep as long as it lasts. And that's, you know, I think that, I think they expect you to probably take care of it in the, under a week, but if you don't, it's still gonna be there and it's still gonna be very drinkable. <laughs> and, you know, um, it, it did help some of those uh, quarantine evenings go by pretty quick. So I strongly recommend it. <laughs> well, maybe maybe back in the uh, in the 60s, in the days when the refrigerator martini was, yeah, you know, really came together. It could have been mother's little helper during yeah, right. the day <laughs> before there were pills to do that. So uh, what are some of your other favorite recipes or memories from these cookbooks? Oh, well, um, so here is the thing. This is a little bone of contention between um, myself and my mother. Uh, she did not give me the Jackson, and I can't remember the name of the Jackson Junior League cookbook. Um, we have Southern Sideboards and Southern Man. Yeah. Yes, Southern Sideboards, because the very best recipe, probably from my childhood, is in that one and she didn't want to part with it. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it is a great, great shrimp from a lot recipe. And um, that is, if, if anyone out there who's listening right now has that one, I strongly recommend it. It's great. It's light. It has um, a good crunch to it. Um, we did learn in my family, my grandmother, my dad's mom, was not the cook that um, that my mother is. And so Here's a key thing that she didn't pick up when she read the recipe that I should make explicit. You want to peel the shrimp before you serve it. Um, so, <laughs> oh, this yeah. is your, your grandmother Campbell. This is, this is my grandmother Campbell. Yes, no blood relation to my mother who actually knows how to cook. But um, my dad, <laughs> she, my mom, um, she asked my mom for the recipe. My mom gave it to her, and she was so pleased because. She really liked to entertain too, but she just, woo, she was in defiance of all, you know, sort of expectations of Delta women. She was not a cook. And, um, but she did have a lot of people over. And so she had, she made the shrimp remoulade one time and she asked my mom for the recipe. My mom gave it to her. And then my mom said, when she went over for whatever event it was, she put her shrimp on the cracker and she bit into it. And she said, Martha, did you, did you not peel these shrimp? And my grandmother said, Oh, you didn't tell me I had to. So, oh, the, the details. Oh, the details. Yeah, so let me make it explicit. It is only a great recipe if you peel the shrimp. And I'm sure Carol can find the recipe as she was the president of the Jackson Junior League at one time and knows all about these cookbooks and has a real inside track. Well, I have to That's say that when, when I was president, we did the new cookbook, the new generation cookbook, uh, come on in, which is now an old generation cookbook. 
it was, you know, one of the first that uh, didn't have a ring binder. And uh, it also was one of the first that did not put names under the recipes. This was extremely controversial. I mean, very controversial. But we, because so many people had nearly the same recipes. Now, I'm not sure it, it was a, a, a great idea, but so many recipes were were so close and uh, they just decided to put all the contributors in the back of the book. See, I think that that actually kind of, I think that one of the big things, one of the big selling points for this book is the voyeurism of it, you know, is being able to sort of say, oh, well, this is how so-and-so does this. And by the way, she doesn't do it right because this is how we do it in our family and it's so much better, you know, or just being able to say, this is so fancy. Let me see what they're cooking. I, so, I agree. I mean, I, I, I think we really missed out on that. But yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, having those names, it's really a peek into another person's kitchen. I love it. Right. And it's my favorite part, probably, of the whole thing. And you and, would not dare submit. If you submit a bad recipe, I mean, it could just be, you know, social disaster as you said people people would talk behind behind your back so um tell us about desperation barbecue sauce that was one of your recipes that you mentioned yeah so when we talk about flipping through cookbooks that was really um as i started flipping through these cookbooks that was the first moment i might have seen the refrigerator martini first and had a little chuckle and then um this one was actually this is not a traditional junior league cookbooks actually from my mother's boarding school um, in Richmond, Virginia. And um, it is, uh, I forgot what that one's called, Daisy Delights. And oh, it's my favorite one, Desperation Barbecue Sauce. And it's right under a recipe for like a real barbecue sauce with, you know, 10 ingredients and lots of stuffs and, you know, like something very respectable. And this one is ketchup and Coca-Cola. And um, <laughs> and the only ingredient is mix well and lie. And I just, <laughs> I actually tried when I was writing this article, I loved that recipe so much because, I mean, that's, that's kind of where we all are in quarantine, right? Is that like, especially in the beginning when there were all these rations and you go to the grocery store. I don't know if this was a problem in Jackson. Oh, you yeah. go to the grocery store in New York and there would be, one box of pasta and it would be like chickpea pasta, you know, and you're saying, well, okay, I'm going to, I'll do something with this. And so you kind of wind up going, well, what can I make with the stuff that's in my pantry? And I loved it because, you know, I'm not sure what it was that was keeping her from the Kroger 30 years ago or 40 years ago or whenever she wrote that recipe. But, you know, clearly I could relate to that. And I was like, I think, I think there's something about being a 60s and 70s housewife that is very similar to being a housewife during quarantine, to being, you know, a mom during quarantine. This sort of feeling of doing what you can with what you've got and kind of being trapped here, <laughs> trapped in your house. <laughs> you know, one of the comments you made in the article that really hit me uh, is that the working mom and the at-home mom have become the same person. That's right. Quarantine. They really have. And I think, you know, when you think about sort of the traditional housewife, the one from like the 60s, 
you kind of think of this woman who's so together and so, you know, is pulling the roast out of the oven right at the moment that her husband walks in. Maybe she has a cocktail waiting for him and it's not out of a pitcher from the fridge. It's actually like a freshly made cocktail. And I think that's kind of the great thing about these cookbooks is that when you read them closely, you kind of realize how much people were really throwing it together at the time. And that's kind of what we're doing um, in quarantine is that you are, you're, you're doing, and so in the seventies, there was kind of this pushback against this idea of like this, what traditional housewife and y'all would know better than I, since my, my knowledge of this is largely through pop culture, but um, you had this idea that you were either a housewife or you were a working mother. And quarantine has kind of made you the same thing because you're stuck at home with your kids, but you're also trying to work. And so there's just a lot to relate to when you look through these cookbooks and you realize that even these women who were full-time stay-at-home mothers, and maybe some of them weren't, um, there's so many of these recipes, you know, involve canned ingredients, involve, and like one canned ingredient and then like garlic salt. You know, it's some of these recipes for every super elaborate recipe in these cookbooks, like every one that was clearly designed to show neighbors how well they, how well the recipe writer cooks or how much money they have to spend on shad roe, you know, and things like that. There is another one that is made with canned guacamole. And it's kind of, it's, it's really, it's, it's really wonderful and it it's really easy to relate to and I never thought that it would be reading these books. Well, about the the guacamole, I, I remember in your article reading that the actual recipe was for guacamole dip and yes. the first ingredient was a can of guacamole. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and there were a couple of those like that, you know, or um, there was something else uh, that was basically baked beans and it was a can of baked beans and then it was garlic salt. I wish I could remember which cookbook this was in. Can of baked beans, garlic salt, some chopped onions, not cooked, just chopped. And then maybe like a little ketchup. And that was like dressed up baked beans. And after I um, wrote this article, somebody messaged me on Twitter or something was like, this was actually a genre of cooking. And it was called like dressing up, basically. I, I, I can't remember the exact phrase she used, but it was very it was very well known that there was a whole subset of recipes out there and the people just did this. They took canned ingredients and they quote, dressed them up. So, <laughs> well, the, the canned ingredients were really replacements for making sauces, you know, uh, for the long, the slow process of, of making sauces. So the cream of mushroom soup and the cream of chicken soup were the modern the modern housewives sauce that uh yeah that held everything together i i like i i actually didn't realize that so it really is even even when you have these elaborate recipes because every one of them almost has a cream of mushroom soup in it um so they're they're just even the most elaborate recipes really often have shortcuts in them i guess well talk so, about Go ahead, Malcolm. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so right. excited. I'm all over the place here. <laughs> no, we're good to go. So tying the present with the past, in your essay, you talk about these recipes sort of being akin to Instagram posts. I, I thought that was fascinating. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, so it is. And it's sort of what we were um, just saying, really, about this idea of kind of branding, right? 
you get this, um, you want the recipes you put in these cookbooks and the recipes you submit, and this is why having your name attached to them is so important, is that they really are kind of your brand. And so if you want that brand of like the person who does make Shadrow for breakfast, I keep coming back to that because it's just so ridiculous to me. That one's in um, the Nashville one, the Nashville, Se Nashville Seasons. Um, this woman has a recipe in the, that includes Shadrow for breakfast. And so you have the people who are doing that, who want to look so fancy. And, and then you also have the people who know who they are the same way you would say, follow someone on Instagram and say, oh, well, you know, what is, uh, what is Chrissy Teigen cooking right now? Uh, you have these other people who are looking up and saying, well, what is Mrs. Meredith cooking for breakfast? And so you kind of, you kind of get to peer into these people's kitchens. And I think there was also, there were also some people in there who didn't mind maybe looking like they had other things to do. And so there are a lot of other people who are doing the recipes that involve say frozen sausage. And it's just funny. It, I think it really all, going back to this idea of the names under the recipes, it really all kind of goes into branding. Well, you know, one thing we haven't touched on is just the amazing amounts of money that these community cookbooks have raised for all of our communities. Uh, it really, the first community cookbook was back in the Civil War, a group of ladies in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You know, it was for bandages and hospital uh, supplies. They were called a sanitation committee. But through the, you know, through the 20s and the 30s, you know, first they were a lot of church cookbooks, a lot of, you know, women's organizations. And then the, the 50s brought out the junior auxiliary and the, you know, really the heyday and junior league cookbooks. But when you think of the millions of dollars, and that was the purpose for so many of these this, that have been raised. That's amazing. I actually, I really hadn't thought about it that way, but I mean, well, so you would know how how many copies has something like uh, Southern Sideboard sold? You know, I, it's in the Cookbook Hall of Fame. Um, it may, I don't know what the what the cutoff for that is. I'm sure it's at least half a half a million. Yeah, but I, I would. It was in print in in print forever, and those all went to projects in the Jackson community. You know, directly into the community. That, I mean, that's fantastic. And I'm looking at, say, Party Potpourri right here, which is um, the Memphis one. And I think that one on the inside cover, it says, and this is an older version of it. I think at the, maybe this was like the seventh edition out of what ultimately became 19 editions. But I think it had sold at that point 700,000 copies. You know, it's just unreal. And uh, Charleston Receipts, the first one, it has sold about a million copies and and it's still in print as as a river oh. as is river road but one thing i wanted to mention to our listeners is you know you go on ebay you go uh on amazon where you can you know track these through used bookshops but another real phenomenon is that many of these are on us uh, platforms like Kindle or iBooks that they have been converted to digital format. So you can actually go back and find a lot of these. It's not the same as holding a, a dirty ring binder. No. <laughs> With recipes marked, good for company. 
if yeah. you said your mom, your, that's the highest compliment. That, that is absolutely. <laughs> so you're still able to have that record of 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 the recipes. So no, great. Somebody really should digitize it all and then put it into like a searchable like junior league cookbook database. So that like if you wanted to get shrimp and grits from the junior league, you would type in shrimp and grits in the search bar and then it would come up with like every single, you know, Nashville's version and um, Jackson's version and, you know, uh, Baton Rouge version. And so you could have, you could check them all out with obviously the women's or the, the women's husband's names underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Larison, we certainly appreciate you joining us today. And uh, do you want to share how people can follow you, which is, was the beginning of this great article, following you on Twitter and Instagram? That's right. Um, yes, I would love to, actually. Please follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm at this is Larison. So, and that's spelled just like Harrison with an L, L-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. So this is Larison. Well, thank you so much again. We, we enjoy visiting with you. Wish you nothing but the best. And we look forward to the next time you visit home. Maybe we'll all be gathered uh, to enjoy some of your mother's good cooking. Next Monday, we will be joined by Lisa Donovan, who has released her new book, Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger. Lisa is a James Beard award-winning pastry chef and culinary writer. She is also at the forefront of exposing sexism in the dining industry. We hope you can join us next Monday for our show. Carol and I will be right here at 9 o'clock in the morning on Mondays. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by the generous contributions from listeners just like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and we want again to thank Larison Campbell, our guest today, and certainly Carol Puckett, our co-host. I'm Malcolm White. We ask you now to stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey and his show, Now You're Talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And of course, we ask you to join us each and every Monday right here at 9 o'clock in the morning for Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. <laughs>